Psalm 84 is where we're going to read again this morning. Verse number one, we're going to read the whole psalm. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Verse number five and verse six is where we are going to linger today. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, or Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. And what's implied here, it's better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and he will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning. In these few moments that we will share together, I pray, God, that you would speak to us, that you would supernaturally captivate the attention of everyone in this room, and those, Lord, who are walking through difficult places this morning, who may feel like they are in the valley of weeping, I pray, God, that you would speak to them and encourage them in these moments. Let the Word of God be alive to them, and may the Holy Spirit wield His sword, which is the Word, and touch our hearts, convict us, challenge us, transform us, and make us new today. I ask God for your anointing again as I pray every week, not because I have earned it or deserve it, but because I need it to rightly communicate your word. So would you grant that anointing? Help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which is from you, I pray. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just kind of turn around and greet someone at a distance, if you can, or the person next to you, and um, then you may be seated. You may be seated this morning. So we're going to spend um, the next three weekends, uh, we started last weekend in Psalm 84, and we're going to spend the next three weeks here as well. Today I want to talk about the struggles and the joys of pursuing God's presence. So let's begin by pinpointing our text once again, verse 5 and 6. This is where we are going to spend our time today. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And as they pass through the valley of Baca, we'll talk about that, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. So last week, uh, as we opened this series of messages, we talked about the 84th Psalm being what is called a pilgrimage psalm. It's a psalm that as God's people from Galilee and God's people from Judah headed three times a year to Jerusalem where they would worship at the tabernacle or worship at the temple. They would sing these psalms on their way. Uh, They would leave their home and they would head down the road and they might pick up another family and they would travel together and then another family. Before long, you would have this huge group of people traveling together and the closer they got to Jerusalem where they were going to worship, they would sing louder and louder and these psalms would become their anthems 
as they made their way toward the presence of God that they would find in the tabernacle or later in the temple. Again, that's what David meant in Psalm 122 when he said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He was excited to go. And I hope that you woke up this morning, I'm sure you did, woke up this morning and said, I am glad that it's time to go to the house of the Lord. That's the the sense that we get from these pilgrimage psalms. Now, four or five things that I shared with you last week that I just want to quickly review. We learned from the first four verses. Number one, this is a psalm about experiencing the presence of God. This whole psalm is about the experience or the encounter that we have with God's presence, especially the encounter that we have with God's presence when we are together, the corporate body. Secondly, we learned that the psalmist declared that there was nothing that could compare to this experience. It was incomparable. And that's why he said, um, your tabernacles are lovely, O God. Um, it provided this experience of being in the house of God together with the people of God, provided a unique experience that nothing else could parallel. Thirdly, we learned that the psalmist also made clear that an appetite for God's presence brings a satisfaction that nothing else could match. Uh, There is this sense in the psalmist, he said, my soul and my heart and my flesh, they long, they faint for the courts of the Lord. And so you get this picture of a psalmist who who has a, a great appetite for God's presence. He really wanted to experience or encounter the presence of God. Fourthly, we talked about the reward of God's manifest presence, argues the psalmist, brings immeasurable reward. When we finally experience the presence of God, it is a reward that is immeasurable. Even the sparrow and the swallow can find a place. There's, it's, it's for everyone to experience the presence of God. And then number five, this pursuit the psalmist revealed needs to be a lifestyle, uh, not an event. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. It shouldn't just be... You know, every once in a while, I'll experience God's presence. God wants us to learn to live and to walk in his presence. Living this lifestyle, when you choose to pursue the presence of God and you choose to say, I'm going to be a person that goes after God and I want to encounter God. I want to know him in every dimension. I want to be everything he wants me to be. When you choose to do that, there's going to be some great joys along the way. But there's also going to be some struggles. And I want to spend the next few minutes talking about three of those struggles that we have. When we make up our mind, we're going to pursue the presence of God. And we're, going to, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to be lukewarm. But we are going to pursue passionately the presence of God. There's three struggles that I want to talk about that, that are right here in this text that we can face when we make that our aim. Number one, um, the first struggle is when we allow our hope to be diminished by our human strength. When, when our hope for experiencing or encountering God has to do with our human strength, we will be disappointed time and time again. Look at, look at what the psalmist says. Blessed is the man, look at this, whose strength is in you. One of the greatest deterrents to living in an anticipation of God's presence is to limit God based on our human strength to keep on going or to perpetuate the passion for God. If if you think the only way that you're going to experience God's presence in all of its glory is for you to keep yourself strong and to keep yourself passionate so that you're always way up here, you are going to be sadly disappointed 
And you are going to limit what God can do if it all depends upon your ability to kind of ramp that up and to feel that. There are many people that turn from God and they walk away because they will say things like, I can't feel him like I once felt him. I don't experience him when I go to church. I don't feel what I used to feel. And it becomes particularly dangerous when our whole walk with God is focused on or emphasizes my feelings or my emotions. I say this often. You, many of you have heard me talk about it. and it's, just, it's kind of a silly example, but it's so true. Most of us who drink coffee or caffeine in the morning of some kind know what a difference there is between the moment I roll out of bed and I'm kind of tired and how I feel two cups of coffee later. You you know what I'm talking about. You can think, man, this is going to be a tough day. And by the time two cups are down, you are ready to tackle the world. That's because your feelings and your emotions are easily affected by other things. And if we spiritually are, are basing everything on how we feel, then we're going to ride this roller coaster ride. If our human strength is what keeps us pursuing the presence of God, we're going to be disappointed time and time again. When I first pastored in Morocco, up in northwest Indiana, and, and I was there for four years, we had a couple in our church, Ted and Lou were their names, probably about, they were probably about my age now, probably in their mid-50s then. They had grandkids. And they were a wonderful couple. They loved God, but their whole spiritual experience had been in churches that were just highly enthusiastic, highly, um, you know, there was just a, 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 an amped up sense of emotion. Not that that was bad or wrong, but that's what they, that's how they saw spirituality. And if it wasn't there, then it was dead. There was no life. And, and so Ted and Lou would come and and, um, and then they would get out of church for two months or three months, and then there would be a crisis in the family, and they'd come back to church, and they'd be at the door, Pastor, we're going to be there every week now. We kind of backslid a little bit, but we're going to be there. And they would make it for two weeks or four weeks, maybe six weeks. And then all of a sudden, when they weren't feeling it any longer, they were back out again until the next crisis came. And the whole four years I was there, they went through this cycle constantly. Never, everything was above the surface. Everything was superficial. It wasn't about roots that were deeply embedded in their relationship with God. It was all about feeling and emotion. And while we need to experience the presence of God in an emotional way, and that is something God has given us, our emotions, if we base our encounter with God and our ability to pursue his presence based on our human strength and our emotion, we are going to live in disappointment. But worse than that, we're going to limit God. If God can only work in me when I'm feeling him or when my strength is pushing me, then we are going to limit what God can do in our lives. We must grow in our dependence upon his strength, not our own. That's why fasting is so important. Because in fasting, you get physically weak. In fasting, you get hungry. And yet, it's not about how you physically feel. It is drawing something deeper than that. I am pursuing God's strength, not my own. Because in my weakness, what does Paul say? His strength is made perfect. Fasting reminds us of our human weakness and causes us to draw on the strength of God. That's why the psalmist says, blessed is he whose strength is in the Lord. Even prayer, listen to me for just a moment. We talk about the power of prayer, but it's not the power of prayer. 
It's the power of the God to whom we pray. If I think it's my prayer life and my effectual fervency, and if I think it's my ability to articulate and use big words that will impress God, and that's going to bring the answer, I've missed it altogether. It's not my prayer, it's the power of the God to whom I pray. And when I relinquish my will to His and trust His strength, then I see God at work in my life. There are times that I feel like my prayers have been listless. You ever feel like your prayers, here's a good theological word for you, don't have any oomph? You ever feel like that? I just don't have any oomph in my prayer. It's kind of like it's just hitting a ceiling and, and I don't feel powerful anymore. But I just happen to believe that God is big enough to work through my lack of oomph, say amen if you believe that, and still do something. It's not about your strength. It's not about my ability to conjure it up. It's about the strength of the Lord, to depend upon His strength. My strength becomes limiting. My strength diminishes my hopefulness because I think, oh man, I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough oomph in my prayers. I can't get God to do anything. And look what I'm doing. I'm depending on me instead of the God that I say I serve. Well, somebody say, hey man, you got to help me out. There's not a whole bunch of us here, but how many understand what I'm talking about? That strength is in him. First Kings 19 is a great story. I won't tell you the whole story in chapter 18, but it was after Elijah's showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And I mean, it was an incredible showdown. Um, God answered his prayer and consumed the sacrifice that he had laid out and doused with 12 barrels of water and the prophets of Baal couldn't get their God to answer at all. And when he was done, he slew 450 prophets of Baal that brook Kidron and he outran Ahab's chariot to the bottom of the mountain and rain came after it hadn't rained for years according to his word. And I mean, he is on top of the world. Greatest personal revival Elijah had ever experienced. And then Jezebel decided she wanted to take his life out because he'd killed all her prophets. And Elijah, this great man of God, hides under, the Bible says, a juniper tree or a broom tree in 1 Kings 19. And he prays that God would take him and just let him die. I'm weak, God. I've given everything I have, and I, I, don't, I don't have anything more. And uh, she's trying to take my life, and I'm hiding under this tree, and my strength is gone. Therefore, notice what Elijah's saying. Since my strength is gone, therefore, I am of no help to you any longer, God, because my strength is gone. It's a little bit arrogant, but we sometimes think that, God, because I don't have any strength, you can't use me anymore. Do we really think it was our God, our strength in the first place that enabled God to use us? You, you see how messed up that is? But that's what Elijah's doing. Hides under a broom tree. In Job 30 and verse 4, Job describes the broom tree as a place of desolation, a place to go and mourn when everything is lost. In Psalm 120, the psalmist connects the broom tree with a place of discouragement and being under fire from the enemy. And Genesis 21, 16, remember when um, Hagar placed Ishmael under the, the shrub in the desert, likely a broom tree in the Arabian desert, because they had run out of water and they'd run out of strength, and she thought they were going to die. So that broom tree represents this place of desolation, this place where I have run out of my strength. And God saw Elijah there, and so he sent an angel and touched him, and he said to him, rise and eat. And when he got up, there was a cake already baking on the coals. And uh, 
a jar of water, and he ate it, and he drank it, and he went back to sleep. And a second time, we read, the angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him again. He said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went, look at this, in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. You know what Horeb, the mountain of God, was? You know what happened there? That's when there was an earthquake that passed by, but God was not in the earthquake. That's when a fire passed by, but God was not in the fire. That's when a wind passed by, but God was not in the fire. And then what happened? A still, small voice spoke to Elijah. You see, God's strength took him to Horeb, and there he would hear the still, small voice of God. Look on the screen, and then after you read that, look at me. You cannot get to a place where you hear the voice of God in your own strength. God said to Elijah, Elijah, I've got a voice to speak to you. There's a word I want to give to you, but you're not going to get there in your own strength. Rise and eat, take this, and then travel to Horeb, and I will speak to you. There's many Christians today that stray away from the presence of God and the corporate presence of God because their strength has failed them. I'm weary. I can't go on. I'm disappointed. Too many people against me. My failures and wounds are too deep. That's where Elijah was. But God gave him strength to get to the place where he could hear the voice of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can I just tell you, if your heart and flesh are failing today, you might be just in the right position to experience the strength of God and hear the voice of God afresh and anew. Don't let your hope be diminished by your human strength, but rest in his. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Number two, the second struggle we face is when we allow our focus to become distorted by the noise of the world. Let me show you the scripture in three different versions. The New King James that I read to you already, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Look at it in the English Standard Version. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Notice this, in their hearts, they want to get to Zion. And then look at the New Living Translation. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds, look at that, they've set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. What did a pilgrimage look like for those Jews traveling? What did a pilgrimage in pursuit of the presence of God imply? Several things. Number one, an arid and a dry passageway through the desert. They were going to get from where they were to Jerusalem. They were going to have to pass through some really dry terrain. They were going to have to walk through some wildernesses to make it to Jerusalem. Anybody ever been in a spiritual wilderness before where the, 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 the path was kind of dry? It was an arid passageway. But those whose minds are fixed on the presence of God, they set their heart on pilgrimage, may experience the dry passageways of the wilderness. Secondly, it implies that progress is not always at the same pace. 
There will be times that I feel like I'm moving, and there will be times like I feel like I'm spiritually marking time. That's just par for the course. That's just what happens when you set your mind on experiencing God and encountering Him. Progress is not always at the same pace. And then thirdly, traveling with others, the chatter can become overwhelming. You all know that we all chatter to one another when we're on this pilgrimage together, right? Think about 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, there was a whole lot of chattering going on. Not enough water. Not enough food. Tired of frosted mini-wheats every stinking morning. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, my, my feet are hurting. Too far to go today. I don't feel like traveling. We need a new leader. All of that stuff for 40 years. I could live, by the way, on frosted many wheats every morning for 40 years. I like them. I think they're better than manna. But, but all the way along, there's this chatter going on. And Caleb heard the chatter. But Caleb shut the chatter out. He said, I'm not going to let my focus be distorted by all the noise. There is a mountain that God has promised me, and I'm going after that mountain. You see, there are many people who allow their focus to be distorted by all the noises in the world. Blessed is the heart who is set on pilgrimage, who shuts out the noise. There's going to be many opportunities for you to turn back because there's a whole lot of noise going on right now. It's a struggle. Our focus can easily be distorted. So many voices chattering as we pursue the presence of God. Fear is one of those loud noises. It's too dangerous to be a Christian. It's too dangerous to be bold for Christ, especially in the workplace. You need just to tone it down a little bit because the enemy is after you. Anxiety and worry, am I going to make it? Is the world coming to an end? Is the sky falling? Am I going to survive? All of those noises. Instant gratification is a loud noise. You can have it now if you'll just sell out and get out of the pilgrimage. All of those noises, the complaints, the criticisms. Do not, listen, two things. Do not hang out with people who are criticizing all the time and don't become someone who is criticizing all the time. Can I just tell you right now, the people of God, even if we're feeling that criticism, we need to rise above that and speak truth and speak the word of God and speak hope because I'm just gonna tell you, there's enough noise out there saying critical things. Let's encourage one another and build one another up and not let our focus become distorted by the noise. When the noise prevails, we get a distorted focus and we lose heart. David Finch wrote an article and he says this, doctors are warning that a steady onslaught of loud music, loud noise, particularly through earbuds, is damaging the hearing of a generation wired for sound, although they may not realize it for years. More than one billion young people are at risk of hearing loss because personal audio devices such as smartphones and damaging levels of sound at entertainment venues like electronic dance music festivals where noise levels can top 120 decibels for hours. Probably the largest cause of hearing damage, says Dr. Shrikant Chirakuri, who is an ear, nose, and throat specialist. 
is millennials using iPods and smartphones. Hearing loss among today's teens is about 30% higher than it was in the 80s and the 90s. Now, most of us in this room, we had Walkmans, right? We had Walkmans with two AA batteries and headphones that went over your ears. And at high volume, the sound was so distorted that we would turn it down and the battery life was poor. But nowadays, we have smartphones that are extremely complex computers with high-level fidelity. The doctor says the damage happens when sound travels from the earbud deep inside your ear to the cochlea where some 20,000 hair cells transmit the sound to the brain. But if the sound is too loud and listened to for too long, it can damage those hair cells or worse, cause them to die off. And permanent damage can happen in just minutes. There's so much noise spiritually that is affecting our ability to hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Frederick William Favre, who was a hymn writer in the 1800s, he wrote his most famous hymn was Faith of Our Fathers, says this, there is hardly ever a complete silence in our soul. God is whispering to us well nigh incessantly. Whenever the sounds of the world die out in the soul or sink low, then we hear the whispering of God. He's always whispering to us, only we do not always hear because of the noise, the hurry, and distraction which life causes as it rushes on. There are a whole lot of people who need to set their hearts on pilgrimage and shut out the noise so they can hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't allow, don't allow your focus to be distorted by the noise of the world. And finally, number three, the third struggle is when we allow our future victory to be destroyed by our present view. I love this part. Um, look at verse six, the first part of verse six. As they pass through, as they pass through the Valley of Baca. The Valley of Baca, its location is unknown. It only appears here in scripture, nowhere else. The word Baca means balsam balsam tree, but the Hebrew verb for balsam is the word weep. The balsam tree actually weeps. Its, its resin actually weeps out of it, like a, a weeping willow uh, looks. It actually weeps out its resin. So we can translate the valley of Baca as the valley of weeping. It's possible it wasn't even an actual place or an actual location, but it was figurative language. Warren Wearsby describes the Valley of Baca as any difficult and painful place in life where everything seems hopeless and you feel helpless like in a pit of despair. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but most of us have been in the Valley of Baca before. The Valley of Weeping. We're kind of stuck there in the middle. And and it feels like everything is around us is despair. Notice it's a valley, get this, it's a valley that we pass through. Blessed is he who passes through the valley of Baca. I hope you're listening this morning. It's not forever. We don't stay in the valley of Baca. There are moments of despair, but if our minds and hearts are set on pursuing the presence of God, we may pass through the valley of weeping, but it's not forever. It's not a place that we remain permanently. 
Some have lost their future victory because of their present view. I'm in the valley of weeping. It's rendering me hopeless and helpless. I feel paralyzed. Had those pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem when it got dry and hot and difficult and lots of complaining going on and lots of struggling going on, had they allowed their present view to distort their future hope, they'd have stopped right there and they would have given up. And yet there are many today that have allowed their present view to paralyze them instead of going after their future hope. They wallow in the valley. They cry about the valley. They post about the valley instead of passing through the valley. We need to once again learn to be people who pass through difficult places instead of lingering there and wallowing in them. The world's not looking for Christians who never have a valley. They are looking for Christians who pass through valleys and come out on the other side stronger than when they went in. We become so spiritually soft pass through the valleys. Can I just tell you, valleys are no threat to the promise, the presence, or the power of God. Let me, let me give you two or three examples. The valley of trouble. Look at this text in, in, in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 15. God says, I will give her vineyards from there. And the valley, look, the valley of Achor will become the door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came out of the land of Egypt. You know what achor, the word achor means trouble. It's the word trouble. It's the place where Achan sinned and his whole family was stoned. But God said, I can take the valley of trouble and I can make it a doorway of hope. It can be a place where you can sing. God said, I'm not intimidated by your valley. You may be walking through the valley of trouble, but I can make it a doorway of hope. And what about the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Folks, God is not intimidated by our valleys. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament it was one of the biggest strategic failures ever known in ancient warfare. The Syrians were led by a king by the name of Ben-Hadad, and he was after the Israelites, and so he sent all of his military strength, and they attacked the Israelites on top of the mountain, and they got their tails whooped. And he went back, and he was crying and whining, and his advisors came to Ben-Hadad and said, here's the deal. The God of Israel is a God of the mountains. What you need to do is get Israel pressed into a valley and you can wipe them out. All of a sudden, Ben-Hadad kind of puffed back up and he thought, okay, we can do this. I didn't know that, which somebody would have told me ahead of time, but now we, can, we will corner them in the valley and we'll go after them. So he musters all of his military strength again. And he says, we're gonna go after Israel in the valley. In the meantime, Elijah came to the king of Israel, a man of God came near, and he said to the king of Israel, look at it on the screen, thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys, therefore I'm going to give you all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ben-Hadad walked very presumptuously into the valley, 
all of his military might, thinking he was going to take them out because Yahweh was only a God of the mountains and not a God of the valleys. And then Hadad got sorely defeated and had to go back home once again, defeated by the power of God. I just want to tell you, the God we serve and the God we worship is not a God only of mountaintops. He's a God of valleys. Say man, if you believe that this morning. If we don't see God as the God of the valleys and the God of the hills, then our view of God is too small. Where is your view from the valley? When you're walking through the valley, what is your view? God can't help me here, or do you know that your God is a God of the valleys as well? The blessed man, as he pursues the presence of God, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. Look at it again. They lean on the strength of the Lord, not their own flesh. Their heart is fixed on the journey to know and engage His presence more and more deeply. They pass through the valley. They don't stay there and lose their victory. And number four, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to give you this one. Go ahead and stand. Here's the fourth piece I haven't talked about yet, but we're going to close. People that pass through the valley of Baca, and don't get stuck there. I want you to hear me. This may be the most important part of this message. They also care about those who follow them through that valley. Look at the end of verse 6. It says they, uh, they make it a spring when they're passing through. Or they make it a well. And the rain covers it with pools. The picture is as those pilgrims journey through the wilderness and they're in a dry area, they dig out wells occasionally. They get their tools out, their shovels out because they know that there's other people that are coming through that valley later. And so they dig a well, they find some water, and the next time it rains, God fills that well even more with water so that the people that follow that same valley, when they're dry and weary, they have a well a spring to drink from. You see, two things. Number one, they do what they can do. They dig a well there. Others will pass this way later. I hope that you want your life to be a testimony to those who follow behind you. We used to have people like that. I could name a bunch of those people. Rose Bundy, Don Haynes, Pat Richards, Paul Burks. The, the list could go on and on. People that passed through before us that made us realize as we walk through the valley, we can be refreshed because somebody else has made that valley for us or made that well for us. While I'm here, while I'm in the valley, not staying, but I'm gonna dig a well so that the next person that walks by can be reminded that the God who is faithful to me is faithful to them as well. And then secondly, they did what they could do, and then they let God do what only He could do, and that is He filled it with rain from above as a pool. We have drunk, many of us have drunk from wells that were dug by other people. Let's make certain that we are digging wells for people that follow this same way as well. Would you bow your heads with me, please, this morning? We're going to sing that chorus. Um, you are my strength, you are my shield. My strong tower. Father, I pray in Jesus' name this morning that you would stir our hearts if there are those, Lord, who are walking through the valley even this morning.
pray God that they would feel your strength they would know God that you are walking with them they would not depend upon their strength but they would depend upon yours God remind us all that we are walking through we are passing through and remind us that you've called us to dig wells to dig springs in our valleys so that those who follow behind us can be encouraged as well by your faithfulness with your heads bowed for just a moment this morning let me ask you this question if you're here today and maybe you're walking through a difficult place maybe you're in a valley today just by an upraised hand i just want to pray with you right where you're at you would say i'm in one of those valleys but i want god to strengthen me in this valley how many would raise your hand with me and say i'm in one of those thank you are there others thank you others this morning i just want to pray with you thank you and how many would say when i walk through those valleys i want to be the kind of person that digs a well for the person behind me. How many would say, I want I want my praise and my song and my word, my encouragement to bless them. Father, may you touch the lives of those who are themselves walking through the valley this morning. And may they find your strength. And may they find, God, your anointing. And may they find, God, your courage. And teach us all, Lord. Teach us all, God to walk through that valley, not get stuck and paralyzed, but to pass through and to keep our minds set on your presence, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship.